Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Joshua, and I'm the world's mayor. Thank you so much for being here today. We're on the Live Mana Network. You can find us by downloading our app on your phone, tablet, computer, or even your smart app store. So Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, any of the podcast networks, just you can find us there. Or, of course, go to livemana.org, and you can scan that barcode to find us there. We are a listener and viewer supported network and of course we're a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that is not only passionate about being a voice for the voiceless and boy are we going to get into that today someone's trying to take my voice and other people's voice <laughs> that ain't going to last very long um, but we're passionate about elevating other voices for the voiceless and if you're not ready to be a voice yet well we have services for you too today well I'm fired up and I'm smiling because why wouldn't I? You see, I want to speak to uh, all of the family members out there and the few people that are locked up in these shadow prisons uh, under the, the guise of being a sexually violent person or, you know, the civil commitment law. I want to, <laughs> I want to speak to the family and those behind bars that can actually hear my voice. I was already motivated. I was already motivated to help and to serve. I've developed relationships with some of the men that have been freed. I've developed relationships with uh, some of the family members that still have loved ones behind bars. And I've been a part of other group meetings now and have got to meet some of the more family members of those uh, that have loved ones that were taken abruptly out of their lives. M men that had already served their time and years later were thrown back into these hospitals with no chance of getting out. So a while back, and I say a while back, I think it's not even been a month yet, maybe a month, I had the opportunity of interviewing the infamous James Hydrant. So I want to get into today's broadcast is going to be um, two things. I'm going to read this letter I got from the state hospital from the executive director banning me from talking to the prisoners. And then I'm going to get into some meat about civil commitment, some first-hand account stuff, because when I went out to my mailbox today, not only did I get a letter from Brandon Price, who has never returned my phone calls, because uh, Mr. Price, I tried to do it the right way. I tried, I tried contacting you. I tried calling, called all your people, called you, left messages. <laughs> I think I sent you an email. I'm not sure. <laughs> Could have went somewhere. I don't know. Um, so I, I don't know um, like why you didn't want to talk to me, but the fact is that you know you, you're not happy about us videoing that interview. And uh, James' story has to get out. So yeah, I agreed not to you know record the video <laughs> by checking that box. But I got to be honest with you, man. Uh, I'm a rule breaker. I've always been a rule breaker, especially. I have no issue breaking man's rules at all, especially when it comes to fighting uh, for, well, fighting for the right thing. I'll break rules to do the right thing, especially man-made rules. But anyway, the point is that I was already motivated. I was already all in. I've already, you know, like this has turned into a ministry uh, for myself and my wife. And uh, we really care about this because, well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot of reasons why. And I've already kind of talked about all that. 
and other, other broadcasts I've done. But getting this letter today, Mr. Price, I want you to know, motivated me beyond measure. Like, absolutely. Like, I, I was all in before, so if there's another level to all in, you got me. Because I know what's, I know what's happening there. And we're going to read some firsthand accounts. I got content for months, by the way. Content for months. So I'm going to read this letter right after. <laughs> I need a producer to like do all this stuff for me. <laughs> if, if you're interested in volunteering, if you want to learn how to produce and to edit and uh, learn how to you know, create the back end of a, a TV show or a multimedia broadcast, please email me. Uh, yeah, please email me. I'm looking for help because I have some bigger fights to take on now. I think it's about time I started learning what it's going to take to actually be the official world's mayor. Of course, I own the domain, but I think it's about time that this title becomes official and I need some global position that's going to allow me to be the world's mayor. I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> I'll be right back after this. everybody my name is Joshua the world's mayor and I am pissing vinegar with a smile on my face because I love it when people motivate me gosh man man he should have probably talked to my junior high teachers should have called my mom my wife any of my exes they would have told you what you did but first things first because here's the thing I have no vengeance in my heart that's not what this is about I'm just saying you've given more fuel to my fire to help. Uh, yeah. So, I, and, and you're going to understand why. Because I'm going to read, I got. I literally have months worth of content here, but there's a gentleman that I've gotten to know. And and I've, I've gotten to know, gosh, it's been, it's, it's so cool. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I never, I wanted to do prison ministry and every prison ministry that I reached out to, flaked on me. They disappeared. Well, I don't know why. I mean, is it because you don't think that I'm Christian enough or I'm not moldable or I'm not going to fit into your program? 
Probably. <laughs> so, and that's the way God made me, by the way. And, and I'm embracing it a hundred percent right now. A hundred percent. Because now, just like with having our own network, our own media organization, and everything else that we are blessed to do, God has allowed it to do it. Like we followed the Holy Spirit's lead and have just done it and just found a way. Found a way when there was no way because God makes a way when there's no way. And so for those of you that are locked up right now in shadow prisons or you're the, the family member or loved one of somebody that's locked up, God makes a way when there's no way. God makes a way when there's no way. But you got to trust him to do it. And I believe that there's a way. God is going to erase all injustice. It's going to happen. God's justice is going to strike down on every evil doer, every unrepentant, every, per, every unrepentant soul, every person that is purposefully deceiving others, purposefully taking advantage of others, taking advantage of the meek, using their power to cause harm, to cause trauma, further traumas. God will have his day with you. I know. I know he will. Because there comes a time for all of us. And so God's going to make a way. And I don't want anyone to give up hope. And one of the gentlemen that I'm going to read his letter today, this is a man, I don't know how he's moving forward. He says he's lost hope. He has no joy. Everyone that is trying to encourage him to go out and try to enjoy things and, and, and try to make the best out of the moments that they can get. Have fun. He can't. He won't let it go. He's full of anger and rage and disappointment, and heartbreak, because his whole life has been taken from him. And it breaks my heart, because he's without hope. And I know what that's like, to not have hope. And it's a, that's the scariest feeling I've ever had in my life. But God even there, has a way. And so while he's saying he doesn't have hope, his actions to me say differently, and it encourages me. He's got an amazing attitude, and he's doing his best to, to be a leader in a place that virtually has no soul. So it's, it's where you, you go, it's a black hole for the soul, these prisons. And uh, so I'm going to read one of his letters today. I haven't read it yet. Actually, I literally just got the mail, saw this, and came down and go, okay, it's time to broadcast. That's kind of how it works. No preparing. Just here. Here I am. So I'm going to read uh, Mr. Price's letter. That may get me suspended for life, but again, that's not going to stop me. It's not going to stop me. If anything, this letter is going to draw more attention to what you're trying to hide because Mr. Price, I did try to reach out to you. I tried to reach out to everyone at your organization. I went to the top. Everyone ignored me. Even as a journalist, somebody in media that has a right to do a human interest story, you denied me that right by ignoring me. 
So I <laughs> took matters in my own hands. And, uh, you know, you're probably right by not allowing me to do it again because I, are you to let me talk to any of the prisoners there? Because I would record it because their stories need to get out. So while you've shut this door, again, I want to say God makes a way when there's no way. And <laughs> so anyway, I'm laughing like a serial killer right now, I think. Anyway, I'm laughing, though, because I have so much joy and so much hope. This letter of rejection inspired me and has given me hope and has given me fuel, too. Okay, the Department of State Hospitals, Covinga, is, is in receipt of your request for visiting privileges at our facility. We support and encourage family members and friends to visit. After a review, after a review of a video circulating on YouTube that depicts a televisit between you and a patient, DSHC is denying any further visiting privileges, both in person and through WebEx, that's the technology they use for video conferencing, for violating the televisitation policy. You will not be eligible for visitation for 12 months per our policy and the agreement you check when applying for televisits on DSHC website. It didn't have any threats of consequence. That's why I did it. Like my wife was kind of freaking out. <laughs> I did it because the cops wouldn't talk to James after the interview. Anyway, so after 12 months, you may send a request for visitation to the executive director for approval. He talks about himself in third person because hmm. he's the executive director or he didn't write the letter. Maybe that's it, but he did sign it. Thank you for your autograph, sir. Um, caring. Oh, this is at the very bottom of the letter. I wonder if you can see it. Caring today for a safe and healthy tomorrow. Is that by enslaving people? Is that by taking people off the street that have already served their crimes and repunishing them again? And then performing psychological warfare against on them in their therapy sessions? Is that is that caring for people? Well, here's what I know. More and more people are becoming aware of what's happening there. And so they're becoming aware. And while it's like, well, who cares about sex offenders? Well, you know what? I'll tell you who cares about them. God does. Jesus does. And uh, you can mock my faith. You can mock even saying the name Jesus. That's not my problem. That's yours. And... Uh, I'm going to be nice. Here's what I'm going to say. God cares about the sex offenders. And especially cares about the ones that did serve their time. Justice was already served for them. And throwing them back in a shadow prison because you, some psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, by the way, that is not a consistent field. There's no consistency in that study, meaning depending on when the person trained, is going to have a different opinion. It's not by the book. And by the book doesn't really work when you're talking about psychological conditions. I know because I live with them. I know 
because I've been misdiagnosed so many times, it makes my head spin. I often think the DID I have is because of all the medications I was given originally. But that's another story. We don't, this is not about me. But more people are finding out about what's going on. And God is a God of justice. So whether it's this injustice or any of the others, if you're watching and dealing with an injustice, trust God to handle this. I, this was in my, uh, I want to read this really quick. This is super short. So Isaiah 26.4. So trust in the eternal one forever. For he is like a great rock, strong, stable, trustworthy, and lasting. It's really hard, I would imagine, to have any hope when you're locked up, especially under the conditions that you're in. But there are people that are there that are like, it's almost like they're being like little Jesuses in these shadow prisons. And I'm not saying that they're Jesus, but they're being the closest thing to Jesus anyone else will see. Men of faith. And uh, God bless them for that. I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, I said, I thought I, I thought I was going to be in jail for five years, and I was at peace with it. I was like, God, I will serve you, even if it's behind bars. I will do anything you ask. And um, of course, I ended up getting out. But I mean, I I had it in my head then prison ministry. You know, and I I think I said this earlier, but I tried to go be a join other prison ministries because it was on my heart to do. I mean, I get that mindset. I was a criminal. I was evil. I did evil things. I did things that should have locked me in prison for God knows how long. And it, it, like it, I, I rehabilitated my life. But anyway, I'm sorry. In that, when I made that decision, like, I think part of me knew deep down that I. It was my audience because, well, I did a lot of the same things, you know, and mind you, I didn't have sex with minors, but the, the vile nature of which I was having sex, I can't say was any better. And you've got cultures all over the world that look at that age thing differently. And, you know, so I can, I'm not getting to that argument. I'm not trying to justify anything, but I just know that what's happening there is wrong. And so while I tried to start a pit prison ministry, join prison ministries and all that, I kept getting denied. And this time, God opened a door that, when there wasn't a door, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be getting to talk to people that are behind bars and, and now getting to, to interview them and meet their families and I, I never thought that, and it's, a, I mean, it's not a traditional prison ministry by any means, but I thank God that I've had the opportunity now to get to meet some of these men. And, and so if you're a true believer, I guess this is why I'm saying this. If you're a true believer, like the kind of believer that can look at is that if Jeffrey Dahmer truly repented, and truly asked for Jesus to take over his life. If you're the kind of believer that believes that even Jesus can save him, you're my kind of believer. Because in the same vein, 
I believe that Jesus can heal and save the unsaved that are locked up in these prisons, the unhealed. And here's another thing. The, the mind is a really strange thing, very powerful supercomputer. It's, I, I don't even know how to ex define the brain. But I will say that we are very complicated people because of our brain, because of our circumstances, because of our experiences, because of our trauma, because of our mental uniquenesses. And you know what? None of us really know how we're going to turn out after we experience the things that we experience. And especially if we don't immediately start trying to heal from the bad things that happen. But what do most of us do? What do most of us do? We, we run away. We, 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 we drink ourselves to forget about it. We have sex to forget about it. We do drugs to forget about it. We do everything but face it, to figure it out, to heal. And after all, the way to our destiny is to face our giants. And what are our giants? Well, our giants are our sin. It's our addictions, it's our pain, it's our abuse, it's our adulterer. You get the point. The things that scare us most. Typically, the giants that we face just on the other side of those giants are God's promises. It's a victory. And I believe in Christ. We were created to overcome any giant in our path. Any giant. So I genuinely, sincerely care about this civil commitment law. And, and, I, and I also, and ultimately, it's, it, here's why. Because other than the injustice that's there, I also believe that God is a God of redemption and God can heal. And some of these mistakes that these guys made, it's not like they were raping babies. It's not like they were raping teenagers. Some, yes, some were awful and vile people. Yeah, and I do believe God can heal them too. But some of these crimes, slapping a girl on the butt. How many of you have slapped a girl or even a guy on the butt? How many of you? How many of you t-ball coaches Cheerleading coaches, swimming coaches have slapped one of your kids on the butt. Is it right? No. I'm not saying it is. Do you deserve to be in prison for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years for that? No, you don't. But that's what's happening. So, without further ado. Man, there is so much here. Oh, there's a report. Part one, the Office of Mental Health Mismanagement and Waste. You know what? I need to spend some time with this one. I'm going to read this letter. And again, there's two of them here. Well, depending on the time, I'm going to read. Bear with me. Um, MC is the initials. I don't want to say his name out of respect. Um, yeah, I didn't. They did tell me I could use any content I wanted, but I, I want to be respectful and not say names right now, especially because of where this is broadcast. But he's in the Dillon treatment team. Uh, this is the Dillon treatment 
team, and the response says no hope. Well, I can't show you it because it'll show the name. So this is not me, but I'm going to read. It appears to me that the treatment team has transitioned into a focus group that concentrates on exacting punishment and holding people back in the program. So I got to stop already. That first sentence is what I've heard in multiple states. Like I've heard stories from men, men on, on the outside and inside, that that very sentence, this is in Kansas, California, New Jersey, uh, Texas, Minnesota, I've heard the same story. Last month, I was punished and denied my level for a notification that was dismissed by the due process coordinator. I can't appeal your decision and I can't file a grievance on issues related to the administration process. On Friday, August 14th, a building-wide shakedown was conducted in a resident on East 1 who's a purple band and a VTP worker was found to be in possession of a shank and several pieces of metal. This resident suffered no consequences. In Kalinga, where The executive director, the very bottom says, caring today for a safe and healthy tomorrow. This guy, the same thing happened here. In fact, from what I last heard, that same, there's a, there's a shank that's floating around and no one can find it. It's disappeared. And you got to remember, many, 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 many people have died this year alone. Last year, many people died in these facilities. It's not safe. It's not a safe environment for anyone. So the shank problem, it, I mean, I know we see it in prison movies and things like that, but this is not safe. This is happening in Kansas. So this resident suffered no consequences. I was accused of lying dealing and trading and having a password-protected financial file on a computer. The only difference differences I see in rule violations are that mine offended the administration and his did not. Because I believe his offenses were far more serious than mine, I grapple with the fact that his offenses were ignored and I was punished without trial. Why is the treatment team even involved in punishing people to begin with? Isn't that the job of the due process coordinator? The treatment team, to me, first of all, they get paid. If you're a psychiatrist and you want to get paid, go work at a state hospital because you get paid. And it sounds like you get paid to torture people. So if you're into that, I'm sure Kalinga is hiring. I'm sure Dylan East, Dylan, I'm sure, I'm sure they're hiring. Psychopaths. All right. I take that back. I'm not trying to call people names. I apologize. But it sure does seem like the psychiatrists that are hired there are just sent, are there to inflict pain and torture and keep the cycle going. Because the cycle brings in cash, lots of cash. The more patients, the more cash. That's how it works. I feel this place has fallen away from providing treatment 
And this is evidenced by the fact that I am no longer receiving therapy for my delusional disorder. I am clinically depressed when, it was, when I wasn't before. And even though I've pleaded and begged for treatment, the treatment team doesn't seem willing or able to care. On Wednesday, August 12, 2020, I had a Medi conference with my cardiologist. I explained to him that I told everyone in the clinic, from the doctor, the APRN, all the way down to the nurses, that I had weakness in my left arm and my upper arm, and it felt like I was in a vice. He stated he was never notified by anyone here at the hospital, and the symptoms indicate a stroke. The cardiolo cardiologist told Lynn that I needed an MRI of the brain right away. For the life of me, I don't understand how and why this was ignored, especially since I had just had heart surgery, which carries the risk of a stroke. This is negligence. This is malpractice. I don't know all of the legal words for this, but this is wrong. This is wrong. To say the least, I feel let down and betrayed. I wonder why I'm being treated so harshly compared to other residents. This guy is not a victim, by the way. He's really not a victim. I'm wondering why certain staff are being allowed to single me out and retaliate against me. MHDD Sandra and CTS K Keller as explained to the UL Joanna. I don't know what any of that stuff means, but maybe you do. And I'm wondering if I'm going to suffer from debilitating depression for the rest of my life because of an untreated stroke. This is the guy I was telling you about that doesn't have hope, yet he's still trying to find a way to help people and be like a nice guy to others. I, I, I admire him. And by the way, he's not sitting there saying he's guilty, or saying he's innocent either. He's served his time. But now he's thrown in there. I've been here for 10 years, going on 11. I've done everything that's required of me. I've done all the classes. I've passed all the polygraphs. I've taken all the beatings from you. I no longer have any hope, motivation, or zest for life, and my spirit has finally been broken. I am mentally and emotionally exhausted, and I've had enough. Please just leave me alone. This is signed by him on 8-17-20. Well, thank God he's still alive, because it's 2022, and we're talking. I want to read this. Oh, this is from a year before. I haven't read this. Bear with me. We're 30 minutes in. I think this is interesting. You know, I know you're not probably not watching to watch me do story hour, but this is important information. I mean, you know, I got other episodes if you need something more happy. Of course, I haven't really done that many. We cover some pretty wild content. I think my, the audience that's used to watching can handle this. For the new people, I don't really know. But I think this matters. And I, and I want people to understand what's happening. And oh, by the way, you're paying for it. If you live in one of the civil commitment states, you're paying for this. And when you hear all the money that's going to these facilities, it's money coming out of your pocket. But there's way more reasons than that that you should care. My name is MC. I've been in, in the Kansas Sexual Predator Treatment Program at Lauren State Hospital. So I'm thinking Dylan treatment is is in Lauren. I hope I said that right. Forgive me if I pronounced it wrong. 
The letter expresses my view of the Kansas Department of Correction Sex Offender Treatment Program. This view is also shared by a number of professionals who had the opportunity to work for the Sexual Predator Treatment Program at Lawrence State Hospital. The KDOC and SOTP program overall is helpful in assisting offenders to change their criminal lifestyle and because the material was so helpful in changing my perspectives, I strongly feel that all offenders, not just sex offenders, should be required to take the program. However, my personal experience leads me to believe that certain actors saw it as an opportunity to promote personal agendas by using the program as a fact-finding mission to gather information for purposes of civilly commit. I began my sex offender treatment in Norton Correctional Facility under the supervision of Mrs. Wilcox. During this time, I was required to compile a list of victims as defined by the program. I became suspicious when I was required to list myself as a victim for engaging in personal gratification with myself while under the age of 18. So basically, if you masturbated when you were a kid, okay, I'm sure there's a reason for it, right? I'm sure there's a practical reason why this would be included. I've offended myself for spanking the monkey. I think I can say that. After I compiled my victim list and passed my polygraph, Mrs. Wilcox began pressuring me to list more victims. Every time I turned in my victim sheet, Mrs. Wilcox would slide it back across the table and tell me I should have more victims because I'm an exhibitionist. When I resisted, Mrs. Wilcox would resort to threats telling me she would send me to send me 525, which was predator designation for up on the hill at Lansing Correctional Facility, and I would spend the rest of my life there. I later learned that 525 was Senate Bill 525, which created the Sexual Predator Civil Commitment Program. At first, I resisted. I became angry and argumentative. I would too. Mrs. Wilcox kicked me out of the program for being resistant to treatment. By the time I was allowed back in, I was so scared of being sent 525 that I was willing to tell them anything they wanted to hear. You ever hear of, this is not the letter, this is me talking now, you ever hear of like, I mean, in some cases, they've you know drugged people to get them to confess, which sounds like a conspiracy theory, but there's documented cases everywhere. Uh, when you pressure witnesses uh, to make them, you know, to make them basically point the finger at somebody. They've beat confessions out of people which they weren't really guilty, but they wanted the torture to go away. Like, people don't like suffering, and you put enough suffering in them, or cause enough suffering in their life, they're going to do stuff. And you know what? I mean, in this letter, because it's a year prior, you know, his spirit wasn't broken just yet. But, I mean, how many of you have, like, just been so exhausted with arguing with somebody, you just give in and go, yeah, okay, fine. Minor example. But we do it. Now imagine spotlights glaring at you. You know? Threats. 
I mean, just imagine it the way you see in movies. I don't know, because I mean, some of that stuff is realistic. People, if you're not deal used to dealing with pressure, you're going to fold under pressure. Even experts at dealing with pressure fold under pressure. It happens all the time with athletes. Golfers. But you're threatening someone's livelihood, their freedom, being locked away forever if you don't do this. Most people are not going to go, screw you, I'm innocent. Or screw you, I'm like, no, this is not right. Because they know if they fight back, no, it's going to get worse. And, by the way, when you're locked up, you have no rights, really. Not really. I mean, it's you should have some rights, and, and the rights I think you're supposed to have, you don't really get. And, or though it's real, real loose, you know. But, I would imagine that you take those threats a lot more serious when you have no control of the situation. So you could probably get people to admit to a lot of things. Just saying. Okay. Um, by the time I was allowed back in, I was so scared of being sent to 525, I was willing to tell them anything they wanted to hear. I began fabricating victim after victim. Each time, Mrs. Wilcox would slide the list across the table. I would add more victims. Eventually, my list grew from one indecent liberties victim and a half a dozen exhibition of ex You think I would know these terms. Exhibitionism victims to more than 200 victims in total. Good God. That lit, well, you know what? I violated people too, because you know what? If the webcam, if the government can see through our webcams, I violated them. You know, never mind. This is insane to me. Okay, that list has haunted me ever since, and it was the primary focus for my civil commitment trial. Although the state evaluator hesitated to call some of those on my list as victims, he did point out that I listed scores of victims. In the Lard Sexual Predator Program, I resisted taking my polygraph out of fear that I would fail because of all the fabricated victims. The, this year, I worked up nerve to submit a more accurate list to my therapist with significantly fewer victims. There was some hesitation and reservations for my therapist, but I easily passed the polygraph. What I just read to you is a mind F. Psychological warfare. Doing that to another human being. That is as abusive. And I've been molested, so I'm qualified to say this. The psychological warfare, verbal abuse, playing mind games, gaslighting, narcissism, all that stuff is far more damaging than being raped. Far more. And, and I'm not minimizing what happens with being raped. An exhibitionist, he probably, so he probably dropped his pants and like spanked it in front of some people, exposed himself. It's perverted. It's weird. He was probably on drugs, maybe. I don't know. I did a lot of weird stuff on drugs. Um, but being an exhibitionist, I, 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I haven't done any studies on that, like how it affects people. But I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around why somebody would be locked in a shadow prison and have be succumbed to uh, uh, psychological warfare and torture. Unless if there was an ulterior motive. I thank you for your time reading this letter, and I hope it provides you with some kind of insight into the workings of the sexual predator sexual predator treatment program. Although there are few individuals whom this program was truly designed for, it is my hopes that Congress will take a look at the true statistics of sex offenders and implement regulations that alleviate problems associated with this issue. Current regulations allow for the warehousing of men who own up to making horrific mistakes in their life and most often results in equivalent of a life sentence. Sincerely, can't read his name. Okay, this one's short. So this is from an attorney. And this was sent to Mr. Hemby. I'm with Mike Chubb, same attorney, okay. So, I'm just going to read this letter because it's from an attorney, just for fun. I haven't read this one either. This is short. I have received your several letters over the last few months. Some are informative. They all are. But frankly, I don't look forward to reading your letters because they're too depressing and frustrating. Truth means nothing. The only recourse, and it is not much of one, is to play the game. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to read this. Okay, so... Play the game is a is this is the that's the key phrase that people use when they say okay well I'm gonna sign up for the treatment which means you're signing up for psychological warfare that's what it means and I know some of you are like well the prisoners who cares this this could happen to you you're paying for this to happen you're paying for people to be tortured taxpayer This is a cash grab for, for the people that, I mean, there's so, the people profiting off this are making tons of cash, tons. But play the game. Play the game is what they're told. Okay, I'm going to shut up and quit, start reading. The only recourse, and it's not much of one, is to play the game. Although that's no guarantee or maybe even likelihood of escape. As I've said, escape meaning getting out, not breaking out. As I've said a dozen times probably, play the game for a year or two. Then the state couldn't automatically and legally ignore you. But you've made your decision. Anyways, I've enclosed a copy of an agreed order and chronologically filled a couple of months filled out a couple of months ago. Miss Dorinda Mitchell has left her position with the Eternal Attorney General and wanted to clean up the records in all of her cases before she left. <laughs> Just burn the evidence. <laughs> I really think Judge Rumsey would like to give you some relief or opportunity for relief if he didn't automatically have to turn you down for non-participation. Although even, although even he has said the SVP, sexually violent persons, statute doesn't give him a whole lot of authority. 
at least with COVID hysteria dying down, unless they ramp it back up, you can have more contact with your family, etc. Your case is too depressing. Please don't write me. <sighs> don't write me about it. Just kidding. Write me whenever you want. I appreciate the information. If you can stand to live in this injustice, I can stand to hear about it. Sincerely, Gerald Dami Trovic. Maybe I should reach out to him. That was in June of 20. I'm going to reach out to him today. Hopefully he won't charge me to talk to him. Okay. I'm not going to just keep going through this stuff. But those of you who want to know what civil commitment is, I'll make this really, really simple to you if you're going, what the heck is civil commitment? I mean, there's other broadcast. You could Google it. But I'm going to give you the short version. Civil commitment is additional incarceration often after a person's entire printant. Let me start over. <laughs> civil commitment is additional incarceration often after a person's entire prison sentence for a sex offense has been served. People live in a prison-like facility consisting of a chain-link fence taught by razor wire and patrolled by uniformed armed guards, background checks for visitors, monitored phone calls, mail, and numerous other restrictions. Some civil commitment facilities offer sex offender treatments that never get completed. They may never get completed. They're not meant for you to complete. Anyway, there's a lot more. I'll do more on this another time. But there's a lot. And look, um, as I said before, where'd that letter go? For my new friend. Mr. Price. I, look, I, I was kind of having fun earlier, but... What, what's happening there is wrong. And, uh, and it's just silly to me that like letters like that, I don't know if they thought that they were going to stop me or not. I, I have no idea. But all it does is add fuel to my fire. I've had the door slammed in my face so many times of very diff various different things. And when God puts something on my heart to do, I'm going to do it. And um, if God calls me to care, love, to pray, to fight on behalf of a certain demographic, I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm pretty relentless. Um, now that I have all this extra energy from not being a chemsex addict and, you know, being a junkie, I got a lot of extra energy and time on my hands. And I'm not on social media either. So, I'm going to fight this, and I'm going to be a part of the fight, because I can't do it alone, and I'm going to help other people fight, and what we're doing with our foundation. I mean, look, we serve other demographics. I mean, we it's not just working with sex offenders, but you know what? God loves them too, and so do we, and we believe that God can heal them, and so we're going to serve them. We're going to serve other people. And look, for those of you who are like, well, why in the world would you care about sex offenders? And I've already answered that because God did. Jesus does. God does. Jesus does. And 
we're going to care about them too. And we and look, and for the victims, we care about you. I was a victim once. But I also became the victimizer in, in a different way, but still bad. Gaslighting, cheating, abuse. I mean, God changed my life. Jesus changed my heart. He can change anyone's heart. Can renew anyone's mind. If he, I'm not claiming that I'm perfectly healed, but if he can heal my DID the way that he has, he can heal others. And um, I mean, this is what we do as an organization. We care about people. We care about those that are suffering. We care about the abused. These, the people, these sex offenders that so many people just call vile and disgusting and evil and they belong in hell. They weren't born to be like that. They weren't born to be like that. I know there's generational sin, things that carry over, traumas that carry over generation to generation until someone breaks the cycle. But I think about all the hatred I had towards my dad, all of it. When reality, When the things that happened to him happened to him, he didn't have the tools any more than I did at the time. Now, I was fortunate to grow up later, and I believe that maybe this is the way God designed it, is that, okay, I get his stuff, <laughs> his, the sins of the Father transfers to me, I do all the same stuff he's doing, and what but worse, but then, but God. And... I get to break the cycle. I've been breaking the cycle. I broke the cycle. There's cycles I'm still breaking. But you know what I mean? Like now it's my responsibility. Because I don't want to carry this to the next generation. Like if Jessica and I are blessed to have a child, um, I'm kind of getting older. But if we are, I'm going to be the best dad going dad ever. I love the girls that I've been blessed with six and seven year old and I have a 21 year old and I have a one year old grandson now and like you know I, I get that opportunity because that's what Jesus does for people that's what Jesus does for people that's why God sent his son here I know some people get really confused in that concept of the trinity and uh, my mom, I was talking to my mom today, actually, because talking to my daughter about it, and because uh, she was talking about the differences between Muslims and Christians, and uh, and I was listening to the way that she explained it, and, and it's actually it's the appropriate way to explain it, but I view it a little bit differently, 
and I could be wrong, but I believe that Christ dwells in all of us. I believe that the Spirit of God dwells inside all of us. And God is inside of us. We have his DNA. And I'm not saying we are God. I'm not saying we're gods. But I do believe that Christ dwells within, within us. So we are sons of God. And Jesus is our brother. I believe that. He's our king too. But he's our brother. And if Jesus said we would do even greater works than he I believe it. And the difference between us and Jesus is that, well, you know, <laughs> we're getting some weird stuff here. But, you know, I talk about soul ties, generational sins, all that. Well, when you have sex, you're basically intermixing your stuff. You transfer spirits to people. I know I'm getting to, like, woo-woo land here, but you can't. It's called soul ties. Well, since Jesus was born of a virgin, he was born with no sin. Therefore, he got to live a sinless life. I don't know how that's even possible. <laughs> really? I don't. Practically, don't get it. Like, how could you do that? Because, I mean, I would at least stare at boobs for, you know, five seconds, and I'm pretty sure that that's a sin. Unless if it's my wife's. I don't know. Can you lust after your wife? I mean, is that okay? I don't even know how that answer. But, anyway, like, God is in everything. God is in us. Jesus, like, is, I believe Jesus died on the cross. The reason why we follow Jesus is because of the life he lived, the lessons he taught. He, by following him, by being obedient to what he teaches, what God teaches, we can access the kingdom of heaven. We can experience heaven on earth. And yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross. And yes, I believe his spirit was released when that happened. Like they talk about in Acts. And we have that same opportunity. I, I believe the Holy Spirit is always with us and always waiting. I believe the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. So the Holy Spirit's not going to take over unless if you, A, make room for it, and B, ask him in. So the Spirit's always with you. But you have to give it permission to take over. And when you're led by the Spirit, you have the ultimate navigation system. You have the ultimate guidance system for truth, for wisdom, for love, all of it. So, I, I probably didn't explain that very well because I went off in storyland. But Christ's Spirit will tell you this, and, I, and I'm going to end it. The healing power of the Spirit is unbelievable. It can burn, burn things out of you that don't belong. It can give you the mind of Christ to see clearly to move the noise, to even have the wisdom to know what to say, God, I surrender this to you. This doesn't belong to me. This no longer serves me. And the other thing, too, about the kingdom of heaven 
is that you can be anywhere to experience it. So that means even locked up in a shadow prison, you can experience the kingdom of heaven. You can bring God with you everywhere. You can represent Jesus anywhere. You can experience the fruit that comes from following Jesus and living that life anywhere. Humans are adaptable and moldable. So, like, our surroundings and our environment, we adapt to it. That's, we're designed to do that. But imagine how much better life is with God's Holy Spirit guiding your every way. And that's what a relationship with the Lord does. And it is worth it. It's worth it. I never thought that I would be doing any of the stuff that I'm doing the way that I'm doing it. Oh, I had these dreams. Broadcasting, speaking, writing books, making movies. I dreamed about all of it. It's all I ever wanted to do. And now, I get to do it. But, not in the way that I thought I was. But you know what? This is the only way. Like, I mean, I have selfish goals still. But I'm so grateful that God gave me this assignment. And uh, so, men, ladies, gentlemen, family members, the loved ones of people that are locked up, my heart's with you. And I'm here for you, here to pray for you. You can go to our website here. You go to livemana.org. Full website, livemanaworldwide.org. Either way, they're both, they go to the same place. You can scan that barcode. Uh, there's a contact page there. You can book time with me. Uh, there's a section for Joshua and Jessica. That's to meet with us. We can pray for you. We can, whatever, I mean, talk to you, find out ways that we can help you, serve you. Um, and we're happy to serve. We're, again, a 501c3 nonprofit media organization, and we rely on your generosity. We don't, like, we don't eat without your help, but we are here to serve you and not, you know, ask questions about that. Like, so you can pay me? <laughs> We're here to serve. Anyway, thank you for watching. God bless you. And uh, you all have an amazing day. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But now I'm found Was blind But now I see I once was lost But now I'm found 